Welcome to Film Fight Club, the show where we don't talk about film, we fight about film. I'm Glenn Falkenstein from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hello, I'm back. And freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. I'm always here. <laughs> so we've had a massive 12 days. The Sydney Film Festival has just come to a close. Wow, it's, it's, it's been a pretty epic ride. It's always an intense week. I didn't enjoy it, the whole thing, as much as I usually enjoy SFF because I was very sick, which is why I couldn't be with you last episode. But nonetheless, the film still pulled me through it to an almost recovery. And the film I liked most of all, I saw on the day when I was probably the most sick. So nothing can really keep a film lover's love of cinema down. And it's not over yet. The popular on-demand sessions are playing right now and they keep been playing till Wednesday and then there's a traveling film festival so it keeps on going on so don't worry Yes, you can see the Travelling Film Festival around the country and the encore sessions at Dendy Newtown and then the Opera Keys but what we are very excited to talk about is the closing night feature which is premiering on Netflix very soon and that is Okja and we have one person here who's very keen to talk about the film because he met someone who was I think a little bit involved in the movie Yes, I got to meet one of my director heroes today Bong Joon-ho uh, and interview him. That'll be airing closer to when the movie airs on Netflix at the end of the month. Uh, but I must admit, Okja, despite my huge anticipation and my love of Bong, who I still think is is an absolute master, I was a little disappointed by. I thought it was an enjoyable film, but I don't think it's quite up to the standard of all of his other films. I'm sorry, Chris. I feel for you. I know how much you wanted this to go well. And you managed to completely upstage me. I interviewed Vanessa Redgrave, but you just went one step ahead. I wouldn't say. It depends, I guess, on what your your frame of reference is. <laughs> Fair. Fair. You can see the Vanessa Redgrave interviewed on the Sell Your Dreams page of the 2SEO website. But Okja, he's always been a big fix at the film festival because Snowpiercer, one of my favorite films from the past 10 years, uh, was screened in 2014. And this one, I've got to say, I, did, I actually really enjoyed it. I mean, Tilda Swinton, I don't know how many films she's been but she's played an excellent number of greater characters, and this is no exception. It's a very sweet story. It is, yes, but it also, like all of his films, blends tone quite a lot. It is very sweet, but it also goes to some dark and brutal places, unexpectedly so from the almost kids' movie-like setup. Um, I felt like the balance of tones didn't quite always work in this film, which is surprising to me because the way that Bong Joon-ho is able to juggle tones has always been one of my favorite things about him. But in this movie, some of the broader satire of the corporation didn't quite gel with this sweet monster story for me. Yeah, we should explain what the film was I think, yeah. about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very oblique from the trailers, but essentially Tilda Swinton is part of this futuristic corporation, uh, sets up a competition whereby farmers around the world are allowed to breed these quite amazingly large pigs. Yes, super pigs. Super pigs. Which have been distributed to families to, uh, to farm them and grow them around the world and are now being brought back to New York City where they'll be judged on who has created the best super pig. It's basically the Hunger Games for super pigs. Right. Super pig, super pig. And just and the judge, speaking of, um, I we were talking about Jake Gyllenhaal recently and how seriously he generally takes these roles in himself as an actor, but this was the complete antithesis of it. He was, wow, he was out there. Yeah, he was completely over the top. I think it didn't really work. I feel like the caricature he took went bridge too far and it was just kind of painful to watch at times he was sort of mugging for the camera he did he is just he's really proven why he's never 
uh, you know, that there's a reason why he's never taken on a role like this before. He is a serious actor. He can't really do ex- really exaggerated, heightened comedy like this. But, uh, you know, once again, pairing with you, Chris, because this is my favorite thing on the show. Uh, I really liked uh, that he went out there because it was something different. And also, I was sick by that, the end of the festival about these overtly heavy existential political films. So I did want to do something a bit more light on the nose and mm. didn't want to be whammed with all this political heaviness. It's true. The Sydney Film Festival always has some pretty heavy films, including the festival competition uh, entries, and the winner this year in particular, On Body and Soul, which took home the Sydney Film Festival Prize, $60,000. It was quite a big night for the awardee, and we have Ed Varad. I understand you saw On Body and Soul. Yes, I really, really loved it. It was quite a unique experience, and uh, actually I loved... Okay, from a very personal perspective, I think there are a lot of disability narratives or narratives about disability that do get represented, which do not really talk about characters apart from their disability. So what I really loved about this film was that disability was only just, you know, one aspect of the narrative and the characters were quite well defined outside of it. That's right. It wasn't preachy about being a story about disability. It yes. Simply featured, I, I detest that with yeah, a passion. It was simply integrated uh, naturally into the story. And the story in the, the perspective and the way it's told puts you, you know, shows you what the world might be like for a person with autism uh, on the level that, she, that the protagonist suffers it, um, or experiences it, but uh, doesn't try to shove that down your throat. Yeah in the plotline. It's basically a simple love story where her autism is simply an aspect of her character. It's a story about two people who are experiencing the same dream while they work at an abattoir um, and how this draws two strange people together. I know know it sounds weird and it's set up in an abattoir once again, a very sort of gruesome place and yet there's this very tender love story unfolding there. And it's beautiful in the sense because the dream sequences are amazing, and the way they're shot. Oh yes, they're very beautiful, and especially the you know the deers. It's it's yes, yes. amazingly the, weird magical realism happening inside. In the dream, the uh, the deer. Sorry, the dream that the two people have is of imagining that they are deer, and so we get a lot of close-ups showing the nature of the animals. And animals are um, a, a big running theme in this. Yep. It's showing how we people. Um, pe- how people abuse animals, how people can be, uh, in the case of the animals at the abattoir, how people can be vulnerable like the deer, um, and how th- this reflects the way that people treat each other. It's yeah. interesting to talk about this one after Okja, because yes, th- these are so. both films that focus on how humans abuse animals in factory farming. I'd like to just note one more thing about Okja. Yeah. I actually really liked that movie, and I was quite struck by some, you know, the factory farming in that, as I was by in On Body and Soul. So I wouldn't like my negativity to sw- from earlier to sway people from watching that. No, it's fair. The ending was remarkable. It had a number of amazing performances. One of my favorite actors, Paul Dano, in, and the Glenn from The Walking Dead. Who uh, was the other in, Glenn. The other Glenn, yes. <laughs> Shout out to Glenn. Who was also in Mayhem, which screened at the festival with Hugo Weaving's niece, a very fun one which screened as part of the Freak Me Out section. But changing tack just a little, we all went out as Film Fight Club to catch one particular film that premiered at the Hayden Orpheum last Friday, and that was... Oh, I should say we caught it. We more endured it, I should say. It was a no, you know, Glenn, it was no. Terence Malick song. You endured song. it. Song. I, I did endure it. This was Glenn's first Terence Malick, and I think that is a baptism of fire. 
it was it was rough. It was like an Audi ad for two hours. I mean, the, the, the tr- <laughs> I, I, I'd like to point out here: everyone makes the Terence Malick ad comparison, but really, what's going on is that advertising has caught up to him. Yes. Uh, you know, actually, Malik Advita- was yeah. making groundbreaking ads before ads were <laughs> groundbreaking. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think uh, in that sense, Malik has always been futuristic. And maybe in 10 years, we might think of Song to Song as the film that everyone would need to see. If we can understand it, I mean, no one was really clear what was going on here. Ne- I mean, yeah, when do films ever need to be understood? They're not about plot, Glenn. They're about the aesthetic experience. Malik's Come films, on. especially uh, a poetic rather than prosaic, I think. He's trying to tell a narrative in the way that a poem tells a narrative where it doesn't necessarily give you all the details of who this person is, where they are. It just throws you right into their life and shows you moments in order to define them. And it's all uh, shown in hyper montage. This is his most dizzying, hard um, to get into film for me. It, it took me at least 40 minutes to get into the film, but <laughs> let me like point out the film is over two hours long, so there's plenty of time for you to get into the film <laughs> there, there is, <laughs> at like, any point. But you know, I appreciate that when there's like a night focus on one character, but they were jumping between Michael Fassbender and Ryan Gosling, who also recently starred in some moving up, trying to make it as a musician in LA. It was very right. uh, yeah. in that sense. My favorite part of the film was actually watching the confused look on people's faces who thought they were going in for a very commercial film, you know, because the film has Ryan Gosling. Sling, Natalie Portman, <laughs> Rooney Mara, so all these people who you think are quite commercial. And they would have you know, gone through the program and said, okay, this is the one film I want to see because this looks the most commercial out of it without seeing the director's name, Terrence Malick. Or knowing what he stands for. I think Pretty what, much. Yeah, I, I think what this movie goes for is comparing and contrasting different people's approaches to love and um, showing patterns through the way that the different characters interact. But I found that the style, which usually I love about Malik, actually kept me at arm's length removed from this. I couldn't quite dive in and deeply engage with the characters, but I still felt it had very, very beautiful moments. To my surprise, our resident Malik hater, Virat, <laughs> I was turned surprised out to too. absolutely love this film. Yeah, I don't know what it is because for me, Malik has always been about affectation, and if I don't get the affectation, I just don't get it. So I will never be into a film. But once I do, it's like a hit of you know cocaine pretty much you get addicted to it and you want more of it by the end of it you just and it's beautiful in the sense that the film is for me was about self-forgiveness each character goes through this personal journey of forgiving themselves for their past choices and it's a very circular beautiful narrative in that and I appreciate the levels of compassion, how that was dealt with in the film. Um, and I appreciate all the cameos. My God, uh, John Linden, uh, quite a, Red Hot Chili Peppers, quite Iggy a few Pop, Iggy Patty Pop Smith. was in it. Yep. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, Ru- Ru- Rudy, yes, wow. <laughs> but Rudy Mara had three films in this festival, and which both had were about personal journeys and particularly a ghost story, which I know we're talking about later. But I found her, where they allow the camera for long lengths at times to focus on her in these films, so much for compelling yes. the chopping and changing and moving, which well, I think there was more time focused on her navel in this film, honestly, than her <laughs> which face actually necessarily. I'm not going to complain about. <laughs> but also her incredible wigs. I mean, the, oh, yes. yeah, she had amazing hair in this film. Uh, but also, it's there's something about Rooney Mara and her playing kind of messed up characters, which I think she's been typecast into, but she does it pretty well, so I'm not complaining. Yeah, so we have quite a few more films to get through. It was a big 12 days. We're going to go a quick break. We'll be back talking more and more about the Sydney Film Festival. Stay tuned. One young university for the third year in a row. As a truly modern university, we never look back. By continually challenging conventions, we not only change the status quo, we improve it. 
Join us for a course info evening. For options, dates and other details, go online and search for UTS Course Info Night. UTS, sponsors of 2SER 107.3. A lot of people who've been injured in accidents don't get legal advice about compensation because they're afraid of what it will cost. But the truth is, it doesn't need to cost you anything. A specialist injury lawyer could actually fund your case for you. Law Partners is Australia's largest specialist personal injury firm, and it costs nothing to call their local office to get some advice. Call Law Partners on 133529 or visit lawpartners.com.au. 2SER sponsors. And we're back on Film Fight Club talking about the Sydney Film Festival, the amazing films we've seen, including A Ghost Story, which premiered at Sundance earlier in the year. It was made on a micro budget with Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck. Very little was known about this film. We wanted the first audience to see this. And I know for quite a lot of the festival goes that I spoke to, it was actually among, if not their favourite film. I know, for a film that had a lot of pie-eating by Rooney Mara, I was surprised how this became one of the favourite films of a lot of people. Yeah, there was like a... Okay, fair warning. There was like a five to six minute scene where she's just eating pie. Yeah, it was an extended abstract pie-eating contest. It sounds like Tarkovsky almost, you know, for your fil- you film nerds out there. Just extended takes of the grim life. People have to eat. Actually, no, like... There has been a through line of people eating food in this festival. I think it's been a very foodie kind of festival. You know, with Ghost Story, you had pie eating, you had Unbody and Soul with the abattoir and that kind of very gruesome food images. Okja is also about, you know, super pigs and food. I think, and yes, Call Me By Your Name, which you're going to discuss later on. It's also about, there's a scene with a peach and an apricot with some disgusting... Reminiscent of American Pie, yes. shall we say. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But, but a ghost story, I mean, this look, this was made on such a small budget. And essentially, there's one key prop in this film. It is very simply a sheet. And it is used to quite amazing effect. But this film, there's, it's quite dark at times. It's quite emotional. But it's also very humorous. There's a scene where one ghost is just standing in the middle of a field and staring out and or communicating with... Uh, I wouldn't read too much about the film, but this was uh, emotionally very powerful, particularly towards the end, when the full impact, understanding of the story and what that what the Casey Alpha character was going through fully came through. I'm really keen to check this out. I missed it, unfortunately, because you can't catch them all. But it's out in general release in, I think, about a month. Yeah, but you can catch Pokemon. Got to catch them all. Okay, we'll do. It's can't. And another film which has been getting rave reviews and I think will probably release later in the year is a film with Arnie Hammer set in Italy and it is called Call Me By Your Name. Yes, this one's divided us. It's from the <laughs> director of A Bigger Splash, if you caught that one last year, and also I Am Love, Luca Guadagnino. Um, I absolutely loved this. This was my favourite film of the festival and my second favourite film of the year so far. I think it captures something really universal about love, but also a lot of specifics about the time and place and the sexual identity. I think it is so beautifully acted. There is a close-up towards the end of this film that is so extraordinary, um, which follows another devastating sequence at the end. Um, This film captures the emotions of young love and heartbreak in such a relatable way an intense way. I think it's really going to connect with people when it's released. It's coming at the end of the year on Boxing Day. Yeah, I think I'm the only critic in the entire sort of film Twitter scene, which I think you didn't, are. Yes, didn't like this film. So uh, if I can be allowed to mount some kind of defense of my perspective, uh, 
I do agree with Chris in the sense that this was a very refreshing queer narrative. Often queer narratives become very angsty, and this film had none of that. So in that sense, I was very happy. It's a very refreshing take on a very familiar kind of tale. But also at the same time, even though I love, I adore Luca's previous work, it got repetitive for me. I mean, there's only as much swimming and beautiful Paris locales that I can see and be like, oh, where is this going? I'm just... And also the main character was an introvert, and I am an introvert, and I would not do any of those things. I do not go for a swim every morning and go shirtless, you know? I just want to stay in my room and read books. For someone who says he reads books, he read none of them. I will say the he is an introvert, but he's a bit of a, an unusual introvert, not the type that we've seen on screen before. The, what I've liked most of, about this film is that is is this main character actually? It's basically the story of him falling for an older man who comes to stay with his family over the summer, and this usually a narrative like this of younger you know coming of age. A person falls in love with older person is usually presented as you know a blank innocent discovering the joy of life but really this kid is quite a punk he is an introvert in some ways but he also tries to project a worldliness I that he doesn't really he's very, he's very precocious so he doesn't really pretentious possess. He's pretentious, he's annoying, he's precocious and I couldn't get into him I couldn't like his character he's not somebody you would want to root for in, I feel like he could have gone that way, but those aspects of his personality were revealed to be a front, and he's really quite a vulnerable person, as we see by the end of the film. Yeah, and I think that came too late. I think there were two different films, and I thought they weren't coming together very well. And, uh, you know, those emotional revelations that happened by the end just came a bit too late for me, and I was just not on board by that point. I'm sure we'll be talking more about this yes. film at the end of the year when it gets released. And this is possibly getting some... Already people talking about potential awards contenders. Yeah, you're going to hear a lot about this one. So Yeah, everyone loved it. The battle will me. continue in December. I'm sure Stay tuned. Um, and we are also... There are a number of films that premiered at the festival straight out of Cannes, including several late picks, among which was the Palme d'Or winner, The Square, from Sweden. Yes, it's from Ruben Ostlund, the director of... Force Majeure, which made quite a splash a few years ago. I was pretty mixed about this film. It's an art world satire that felt like it wasn't saying anything shockingly new about the contemporary art world for a film that runs 140 minutes. Did it need that long to make the point it was making? No, there's a number of great scenes in this film where anyone who's been to a contemporary art gallery will know where you wander in on some absolutely abstract piece and think, what have I got here? And just kind of just <laughs> slowly, awkwardly step out into the next mm. room looking for something else. But they're not just abstract. It This film, in its best moments, really got at how a lot of art in the contemporary art scene is just pretentious and meaningless and a bunch of navel-gazing critics. Navel-gazing again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not into Rooney Mara, unfortunately. Yeah. But, but I think uh, what this film was trying to get at, and which it failed ultimately, but it still was an important point, was this kind of very bourgeoisie sensibility, and this disconnect between two different sections of society which never meet. And I think mm. this is the central point of the film, That's where right. it's, you know, the rich people and the sort of poor people and these very different strata of society which never come together. With art 
being chosen as the backdrop because it's something that's being created f- by rich people for rich people uh, looking in on their own world. The square itself, the title of the film, is based on a square where essentially people from this world can come and engage in this sort of study and reflection. But in the sense, as you said, it is so introverted and um, it, 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 it did quite well, I think, at times get into the irony and of that. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, there's an amazing scene in this film which has been widely promoted oh, in the material. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and, and it is based on a man in doing a piece of performance art in a ballroom. I won't say more, but I gotta say, this scene, as good as it was, it felt like this could have been a short film on its it own. Could, yeah, it could have been from a completely yeah, different I, film. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell where that scene was going or whether that was the performance art or, or you know, that was just serious because it did sort of gave, give me the chills. And I think that kind of shock revelation was what the film was going for. This entire disconnect between people who go to these art conventions and galleries and people who live in the real world who have real problems and uh, this sort of very flippant attitude which kind of can bite you back in the end. Mm. It's a very cold film in a lot of ways. It's it's a comedy, but it's shot in a way that holds you from back from ever empathizing from the characters. It's yes. all very rigid and geometric, with people as small figures dwarfed by this the uh, massive architecture. Um, the the style is one of the most interesting aspects of the film for me. Actually, actually, comparatively, there's been there've been two films I think uh, which have done a similar kind of thing. Which Michael Haneke's Happy End, very similar oh, take. You know, I wish I could have caught that, but uh, last minute problems held me back from catching. Yeah, but, that, but it's like also based on, on, on the same premise of you know the rich bourgeoisie basically sticking the finger to the rest of the world. Oh, this really only came in at the end. I mean, Haneke's film, he was basically trolling us the entire time. Happy well, end. How it is was he not... trolling us? I mean, I I haven't seen Snapchat. it. Snapchat. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of the few, film, few films in the festival to actually use social media very intricately throughout the film. Ingrid Goes West used it to a quite astounding effect. Uh, but this, and I appreciate what he was trying to do at the end. I appreciate the irony of that scene. I appreciate Isabel Huppert, who's an absolutely superb actress. But this, it felt like in many senses a spiritual success to some of his previous films, at least in a, a reference to Amore, which was nominated for Best Picture of years yeah. ago. I mean, it is definitely one of his more funnier films, which just tells you a lot because the film is not really that funny. But still, it's it's Haneke, so uh, I think a lot of people did read quite a lot of uh, social satire into it, but I didn't find it convincing because I think a lot of that is just left for interpretation and there's really no point. That film will be getting a release, I believe, in early 2018, but it remains to be seen. Yes. Another one we caught yesterday as a group, um, an Indian film, Newton, which we were quite looking forward to. It's a comedy of sorts. I think this is one of the films where we had the most unanimous uh, response to. (laughs) I think out of all the supposed comedies in this festival, this film actually was a comedy. So it did not pull any punches. It was uh, funny. It was clever satirically, but it also had good, interesting, funny characters. Yes, it's set amid an election in the Indian jungle where a very determined election officer is intent on setting up a polling booth in a place where there are some Maoist rebels and you wouldn't typically expect there to be an ongoing functioning democratic election, but he has a red-hot go at it. I mean, I've been trying to explain to people how completely messed up Indian democracy is, and I haven't got a reference point to this point, and now I have this film. So I can just show people, go watch Newton, and you'll understand exactly how messed up democracy in the system is and how Indian democracy in that context it just doesn't work. The main character is quite extraordinary because he's heroic only in his uh, his adherence to the supposed rules at, you know, above all else. 
despite in, being surrounded by people who want to bend rules and do things the easy way. In that sense, it's a very sort of English comic sensibility of the Monty Python era. You know, this kind of person who's caught up in a world where he's trying to do the right thing, but the world just doesn't follow those rules. So he's just trying to live by those rules. And you have these beautiful moments, especially where he's such a stickler for time. Yes, so he'll yes. wait <laughs> for those two minutes to pass, even uh, though a that brutal, makes no brutal difference. two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's so yes. funny. And, and I love it how the director holds that shot. You get to see those two minutes play out for those entire two minutes and nothing happens. But it's so funny. And we've spoken about some of our favorites at the festival. Uh, one I would definitely recommend people to go see is Better Watch Out, which will hopefully get a release soon. It's an Australian-American co-production, uh, and it is a home invasion thriller of sorts, uh, starring Australia's very talented Levi Miller and a number of other good actors who were in Shyamalan's The Visit. Definitely worth seeing. Uh, Chris Frutt, did you have a favorite for... Uh, that stepped out, stand out from this fest? Well, some that I think are getting a release soon that I was very impressed by. One is The Other Side of Hope, which will be showing next month around Australia, actually, as part of the Icelandic Film Festival. Um, so I, uh, is uh, it Scandinavian no, Scandinavian, yeah. Because yes. it's not an Icelandic um, film. Be, it's a no, it's a <laughs> yes. they'll be playing it's a Finnish pal- film. Ah! They'll be playing in Pal <laughs> Cinemas. Yes, it's, uh, it's by Aki Korismaki. If you're familiar with his style, it's very much in the same vein as what he's done before. Very droll. Uh, but we're mixing drollery with absurd humor, uh, beautiful production design. It's about a refugee uh, and his struggles in Finland, and it combines very, very serious material involving his backstory with off-the-wall humor, and in my eyes succeeds because of this very flat kind of tone that he, he builds. You see, that, yeah. I enjoyed both sides of that film, but I could have enjoyed them as a feature on themselves. Him standing before the Finnish Refugee Tribunal was an amazing, incredible monologue, and the sequences where the restaurant owner was chopping and changing and trying to appeal to this uh, group or that group of different foods were hilarious, but on their own, uh, together, it was, just, it was too finite. I couldn't engage with any one story enough. For me personally, it worked, but I could see how that could be a problem for some people. I think uh, you've got to go out and see for yourself. It's about a refugee who has to work at a restaurant and hide out there when he, by the looks of it, is to be rejected by the Finnish system. Uh, I think everybody should check it out. It's a movie that, yeah. Uh, I agree. I mean, uh, I had the beautiful chance to interview Shoan Haji, who plays a refugee in this film, and just to be able to understand how he could play it straight in a film which is just so droll and funny was quite, you know, an experience for me to realize that that's what good acting is supposed to do. I also really liked Good Time, which I think uh, the other guys on the show will be catching up with soon. That should be getting a release later in the year as well. It does, I can confirm the hype, feature Robert Pattinson's best performance to date. It's uh, he's actually believable 100% through this very tense heist and escape from the police thriller. We'll, we'll have a fight about who has the better indie cred, whether it's Kristen Stewart or Robert Pattinson, very soon on this very show. It, 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 we will. But you know, after Childhood of a Leader, he's actually had some ama- really amazing actually, projects. Yeah. Yeah. And Kristen Stewart has got personal shopper, certain women, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, this movie, beyond his performance, it is really exciting. Uh, it's got a great score by One Otrix Point Never, this really pounding 80s-inspired electronic score. It has beautiful color use, really intense close-ups and handheld camera work throughout. I, I really think people are going to love it. 
One of my sort of picks for the festival, which I hope get to release soon, is the Uncertain Regard winner from Khan, uh, the Iranian film A Man of Integrity. I wish I'd caught that. I, I actually had to Uber after watching the Begal that morning. I had to Uber there to Randwick Ridge in about 20 minutes to catch this. So I was so committed and I made it in time. So I think that's a world record to be able to do it from the State Theatre to Randwick Ridge. Anyway, so this film is basically about, you know, a simpleton kind of farm owner who then goes up against the corporations because they want to take up his land. And he's someone who's got staunch principles and he just can't, he won't bribe people, he won't do anything. And you know, uh, Iranian society is somewhere where rules don't really apply in the strict sense of the word. So in the opposite way of Newton, I would say. So, you know, people are more than willing to bend the rules and he just wants to stick by them and it doesn't work. And yet this film shows basically the slow descent of someone who wants to follow rules, and by the end of it becomes the kind of person he hated initially. And it's a beautiful, gradual slow burn. Well, there'll be many exceptional films from the Sydney Film Festival playing at different festivals, different events, and in mainstream cinemas throughout the year. We have to go shortly. The Sydney Film Festival will be returning from the 6th to the 17th of June, 2018. So we, are, we have it in our diaries already. And oh, and check out some of the interviews that we have done, particularly some amazing ones from uh, Virat with Vanessa Redgrave and Chris, as we said. from Hell. Yeah, Great that, that one will be up in two weeks. Yep, and that'll be on the Celio Dreams page. And if you have the opportunity, catch some of the on-call screenings at Dendy Newtown and then the Opera Keys. Yes, as James Bond would say, we will return. Good night. Night all.